Hello and welcome to Hawk Talk. It's my Hawk Tea Culture Podcast where we talk about geek stuff, nerdy stuff, and all sorts of awesome. My name is Danny Shepard and joining me is Jeremy Lee. That young. I still don't know what it means. Me neither. And we have a special guest here today for this week's episode. We don't have a, a Nolan and Tony, but we got something just as good. Just as good. Sean Finnegan from IGN. A, ring, a ringing endorsement. Just <laughs> as good. Just, just as, as good. good. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> Some would say maybe better. Some would say not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Thank you guys for having me. I am very pleased to be making my debut on this show. Listen all the time. Big fans of these guys. Long time coming, and you listen yeah. all the time. Oh my gosh, Why? that's unfortunate. Well, I got to do I my homework. That. You know, I got to know what y'all are up to. Okay, oh, gosh. yeah, yeah, yeah. You so so. It's the so thing- far in between when we get to see you. I feel it's true. But although whenever we do hang out, it feels like not a lot of time has passed. Yeah, like we know a lot That's of time has part. passed. Yeah, but like just a few weeks ago, we were out. You know, you had come out to visit uh, San Francisco, and like yeah. what ended up what we had planned to be a pretty like low key night ended yeah. up being an unexpectedly epic night that ended at like five a.m. Yeah, that was so, crazy. That was cool. <laughs> Apparently, Jeremy's night was even longer. Oh, oh, it didn't. It didn't end. No, it did not. For no me, way. I did not tell you this story. Yeah. Oh man! Wait. So, so what happened beyond Tim's place? So uh, I was out in San Francisco, by the way, for Fred helping. Who? Yeah, helping Fred move out there because I wasn't gonna let him drive out there by himself. So um, you know, we kind of buddy system, you know. So Fred was crashing at Sean Pitt's place, who also happened to be roommates with like three other people. And Sean Pitt's. Is uh, social uh, on the social media team at IGN as well. Yes. So their place is uh, in the Richmond district, and five different people are in that place right now. And I was like crashing at the foot of Sean's bed uh, <laughs> on a like an inflatable mattress. So five people, their place, not my place, not Fred's place. Fred doesn't have a key. Fred, you know. So five a.m. We left Tim Getty's place. Tim Sean- Getty's of kind of funny. Yep. Tim Getty's of kind of funny. So Tim's place, we were just hanging around. It was just us three. Uh, and you had gone home, right? right oh, yeah. After. I just left Tim's place and went home. Yeah. So And Tim was obviously already home, so he just went to bed. And he, he had to actually leave for, what was it? For he had LA, some early thing, yeah. The, the Let's Play day. reunion. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. And he had to wake up for that. So it was 5 a.m. Keep in mind, 5 a.m. San Francisco. <laughs> there's nothing open. It's not like Vegas where it's like 24 hours. Yeah. I got in my Uber. So this is the first thing. I got in my Uber, got put in the address, and uh, Uber picked me up. 20-minute ride. I got out of the car, and I stood there for a sec, and I looked around. It does not look familiar. <laughs> this is not the location. This is not right. <laughs> and I lo- checked the address, and I realized, oh, crap. It was street, not avenue. Oh, no. There happens to be the same exact address on both street and avenue versions of it. So I was like, crap. I checked the map 30 minutes away. Yeah, like where did you go? Side. Are it you was, still in the city though? Are you still in San Francisco? Honestly, I don't know. Oh my gosh. It was like That's the so funny. Su- south side, like maybe east of the airport. Okay. I made the, the same mistake my first time going to, I was going to, I was going to IGN. I was going to IGN to record Up at Noon with Greg Miller and I put in the address and it, the driver took me to the opposite side. Yeah, it was the of opposite the bay. End. Yeah, and it was like, uh, or opposite side of the city, not the bay. And uh, and I was like, oh, I was like, this does not look like it. That was like, there's <laughs> like construction and these giant beams yeah. and stuff. I was like, this looks super urban. I don't think IGN is is here, <laughs> right? And uh, so they had to take me to the opposite side. Yeah, so so I, like, same thing happened. Yeah, to me. same thing happened here. Yeah, San so- Francisco. 30-minute ride and had to wait for the Uber. So by the time I got back to the place, it was already like 6 a.m. Oh, my gosh. So 6 a.m., <laughs> still dark outside, you know. I get up to the door, and I realize, oh, crap, I'm not actually, like, a resident. I don't have a key. They don't leave the key out under the mat or anything. Yeah. So I ha- and everyone is asleep. The house is dead quiet. So Fred is sleeping on the couch with... Uh, Danny Juarez, who was also crashing there, too, which they're all roommates now, which is dope, by the way. Um, the couch is in the living room, which is connected to the hallway leading to the front door, right? So if you guys are familiar with, like, San Francisco architecture, it's like old-style country homes, basically, mm-hmm. with a little mail slot on the door. So if you open up the mail slot, I can see Fred lying on the couch and you're like, right there. Fred! <laughs> 
So I tried <laughs> calling him seven calls, and he does not budge. And I know Fred is a heavy, heavy sleeper. What? So <laughs> I open up the little mail, so I'm like, Fred, Fred. And I'm like trying to whisper, but yell and try to get him up. But like Fred's lying there, but there's a bedroom right here. And like, obviously, if I'm too loud, I'll wake up everyone else in the house too. Oh my gosh. So I'm stuck outside. And this is a, what, a couple, a few weeks ago or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, something at that like po- that. At that point. And it's already getting cold in San Francisco. So it's like yeah. below 50. Yeah. Like below 60 at this point at 6 a.m. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, hmm. What do I do? You know what? I know Fred will eventually just wake up or someone will. So might as well just go here. And this is on the second floor of like whatever complex this is, you know? Like the houses are built on top of each other. Yeah. Right. So there's a house on the bottom. You go up the stairs, there's a house on top. So I ended up chilling up there at the top of the stairs for like 15, 20 minutes. And I looked around, sun starts coming up. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just go for a walk, sober up. Walk downstairs and just walked around the block, just chilling. And then came back to the front door at like 7.30 a.m. Oh, my. <laughs> and Fred texts me. Or like I get a ring on my phone and I'm, I look at it and it's from Fred. It's like, oh, shit, where are you? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm outside the door, dude. And he opens the door and I'm just smiling. Hey, Fred. What's, what's up, up, man? <laughs> what's what up? a night. <laughs> <laughs> what a night. And he was just like, that's, that's awesome. such a Jeremy Lee thing to say. You, I told you when I left, I was like, you want to come crash at my place? And you're like, nah, it's all good. And I was like, all right, man, I did See, I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't open That's the so door. Funny. I didn't have a key. That was, an, yeah, an unexpected, an unexpectedly epic night. Yeah. Which I love about you guys, because like, I think every night that you guys come out to hang out in San Francisco, it mm-hmm. ends up being something like that. Yeah. It's got to be, man. We don't see you very often. Yeah, we got to make true. every night memorable. It's also, so cool. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's cool catching up with you guys, and then obviously, like, we have so many of the same interests, it's easy just to, like, shoot the shit and hang out, as we were doing earlier. Yeah. Yeah. We were supposed to record the uh, the show, like, two hours ago, and we just ended up sitting here talking about movies <laughs> for as two hours, usual. and we didn't record it at all. Well, we're trying to do that now. So we're doing it now. Yeah. So we're going to just dive right in, I guess. Uh Sean, uh, before we actually get started, do you actually want to kind of explain who you are and what you do? Yeah, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, I'm Sean Finnegan. I'm a producer at IGN on the branded content development team. Uh, I co-host Fireteam Chat on IGN, which is a Destiny show if you're into that video game. And then I also am like the fifth seat, we call it. Or if you're a basketball person, sixth person on the, you know, yeah, right up first person off the bench, sixth man, for a show called Podcast Unlocked, which is our Xbox show. So you may have seen me on camera over there, but mostly I'm like a director and a producer. I make videos for IGN. I've been working there for about six years now. I got to know Danny uh, back in 2013 when he came and guested on Up at Noon, back when it was still hosted by Greg Miller, which yep. is an IGN talk show. And you came to promote... Uh, Nightwing, which was awesome. And I didn't know who this kid was at the time. (laughs) And in fact, I thought you were one of the audience members. Yep. But you were just standing in the studio while we were setting up. And I was like, Greg, who is this guy? Who is this? And he was like, that's Danny. He's like our guest. And I was like, that's our guest? Like, okay, (laughs) cool, cool. Who is he? Nobody important. Still no one important. (laughs) (laughs) But then we, you know, I saw your work and I instantly became really big fans of you guys because, you know, you make a lot of the same stuff that I like in terms of like pop culture and in terms of filmmaking and action filmmaking and like, so you guys are kind of like, you know, I would call y'all uh, uh, kindred spirits. Kindred spirits. I like yeah. that term. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, uh, are you allowed to say why you're here? Yeah. Well, I'm here working on a project with the Ismahawk dudes. It features Danny. Uh, keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for it on IGN.com in the in the coming weeks. Yeah. Super cool. We're very grateful to Sean and IGN for the awesome project that they're working on uh, with us. And, uh, yeah, we can't wait for you guys to see it. And hopefully you guys like it. So definitely check it out. It's going to be on IGN. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some movies, man. So Let's do it. I know that we – that I guess the team discussed Blade yeah, Runner last week. Two weeks mm. ago, and I wasn't Two here. I was at the Thor Ragnarok premiere. Two weeks. 
And I'm going to keep dropping that. It was that. at a movie premiere. Because yeah. <laughs> I was at a red carpet. This guy, yeah. It was at a red carpet premiere. Shut up, as if you haven't been to a ton of red carpets and met more celebrities than me and him will probably ever meet. Sure, but I just don't drop it on the middle in the middle of a show. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you should. <laughs> uh, but uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about Blade Runner. Yeah, mm, yeah. I'm the only person here <clears throat> who talked about it on this show. Well, for the audience, like, I don't want to retread old ground, but, like, we can talk about it a little bit. I really Mm -hmm. liked Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of the original. Well, 2049, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge fan of the original Blade Runner. I think maybe it's definitely up there with some of my favorite sci-fi stuff, not even just movies. The best cut? The final cut, probably. I also really like the director's cut. I I own... Which one is the one that everybody hates? Theatrical, yeah. Theatrical. Funny. I mean, it's really bad. <laughs> oh, it's not really bad. It's just not what the movie was intended to be. And now it feels very dated. But anyway, I own five versions. I own five copies of Blade Runner. Wow. It's because I was a huge fan of the original, so I bought it like on DVD yeah. and stuff. And then they released the final cut, and then there was the director's cut. So I own both those versions individually as well. And then there was the 20-year anniversary DVD yeah. edition, and then the 25-year anniversary. And now there's the 30 30th anniversary collector's edition on yeah. Blu-ray. And so I bought those. So I own every one of those versions. <laughs> and it was just because you want to own, I am a big film buff. Yeah. I want to own the definitive version of one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. But for every five years or so, it changed like the definitive edition. Like, yeah. oh, you need this version. But now the 30th, the 30th anniversary Blu-ray edition has all of the, it has all five cuts of the movie. Oh, so, so now you I can have, pick your cut? Yep. That's like I've watched all amazing. of them. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, so which so the theatrical cut is the worst one. Yeah, that's the one that has like the Harrison like the Harrison Ford VO. Yeah. And none of the cuts where like uh uh Edward James Olmos his character like is making any of the the origami. Like mm-hmm. all that's cut out. So all of the really cool and ambiguous implications that Deckard is a replicant are just totally removed from the mm-hmm. movie. And instead there's just this really one note VO from Harrison Ford that he totally <laughs> phoned in because yeah. he hated it. Yeah. Uh, that accompanies the movie and it ends with a very Hollywood the the couple gets yeah. together and they drive off into the forest and live happily it's like ever after. It's almost a last ending. minute change. It is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because the studio was like, we need to make this more audience friendly. Yes. For this, for this stage. They didn't think the audience would understand it. Anyway, that's the theatrical version and that's what people saw when Blade Runner came out in theaters. I don't know that we'll, I don't think we'll ever, I think we're kind of past the point where movies would do that anymore. Like you'll never see a director's cut of Blade Runner 2049 in theaters or anything like that, which is interesting. In theaters, probably not, but mm. in, I mean, unless you're a DC the, movie. Yeah. <laughs> or a Marvel movie. There are no director's cuts of that either, right? Uh, not that I've seen. Yeah. Like on Blu-ray editions and stuff. I mean, stuff, there's a director's right? cut of every DC movie, mm-hmm. except for Wonder Woman. There's no extended cut of Wonder Maybe. Woman. Is that on, on Blu-ray or DVD yet? Every cut of a Zack Snyder movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Maybe I it wonder, depends on the filmmaker. Excuse yeah. me. I also wonder what the difference nowadays is between like... like what. I wonder if the, the, the moniker director's cut is just being used to indicate a cut that just has more footage, right? Yeah. Not different storytelling or different aesthetics or different like treatment, but just like it has some of the deleted scenes in it. Mm-hmm. Like they're calling it the director's cut. They've been calling that extended cut though. I mean, yeah, but I mean, that's what I mean. That's it's like, I think there's like, like a, con- like there's maybe a misconception as to what these things should mean. Yeah. Or what they interchangeably. Are. Yeah. When maybe it shouldn't be, but mm-hmm. I don't know to get back to Blade Runner 2049. I really, really liked the movie. I thought Ryan Gosling was awesome. Also that jacket deserves a supporting, oh, award, yes. a, a supporting actor <laughs> award. I want Oscars. that jacket Dude, so bad. Yeah. I kept, Thinking that the entire movie, I'm like, I want that jacket. Yeah, the way they made killer. that jacket look too. Anytime he spins around, pulls out a gun. Yeah, and also he has like, like he has like <clears throat> regular mode where it's down, and then yeah. he's like incognito mode. Where it's <laughs> like half his face. Like that's really cool. Yeah. Um, when they said it was green, I was like, Yeah, I did not know yeah, it was green at all. When they said it was green, that was almost like that was more shocking than the actual twist in the movie. <laughs> I was like, Whoa! <laughs> I was like, Whoa! That jacket's green. It actually Man got an audible jacket. response from me. Yeah, yeah. I was like. Huh. Um, it's green. 
I, I I don't know that I like it as much as I like the original Blade Runner. And we talked a little bit about this off camera, but mm-hmm. just like I love how the original Blade Runner is filled with this ambiguity that makes you question what the essence of humanity is, mm-hmm. right? It uses a replicant's story to make you think like about what the distinguish like what the distinction is between humans and replicants. Yeah. And what here makes you don't you human. Yeah, and here you kinda don't get that sort of philosophical, intellectual thoughts it's much more a visceral sort of agency driven thing like they clearly stayed up front that k is a replicant and that we're in a society now where replicants exist and people know they exist Mm -hmm. but the only reason that that society is set up and works is because they're made to be subservient and only exist that way Mm -hmm. but as he gains agency and starts to disobey the rules essentially that makes him more human-like. And I think that that is a cool Oh, we're going to talk about spoilers, guys. By the way, spoiler alert for Blade Runner 2049. If you don't want to hear spoilers, then skip to a point in the episode that Jeremy's going to leave a link in the description. So far, we really haven't hit that many spoilers. But just in case we do. Yeah, Yeah. totally. In fact, we haven't hit any. But Yeah. um, And I'm generally really good about that because we have to do it all the time at IGN. Anyhow, uh... (laughs) I, we are I, not as good. Really? You just <laughs> dive right in? Yeah, I think uh, um, I like the performance. It's beautifully shot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really, it just didn't really, like, connect the way the first one did for me. Yeah. You know? Well, I think just based on changing times, because this is, and you kind of get the feel of it with the premise of the movie being set 30 years later mm-hmm. anyway, and the way the production design, the the way that the environment has ravaged LA and the world in that universe has changed. So I think the themes that are being played on in the original movie have changed to something different in this movie. You're where totally right. I was actually talking to Noel about this uh, the other day where Noel is not a big fan of Blade Runner. Like he appreciates the art and the, the, like the everything else, of, but the story. Yeah. Basically. Everything else, but the plot, the plot, the plot. Um, but he appreciates all the themes that are being played and, you know, like mm. the, the world and universe being built. And one of the things that I was telling him, he was asking me why uh, I think people like Blade Runner, why I like Blade Runner, is because the original is playing on the themes of humanity, like what makes you human. And drawing from, like, Philip K. Dick's novel, um, do, yeah, do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, sheep. like... Are there ghosts in the machine? Is there consciousness in a machine, like something artificially created? And the original definitely plays a lot with like what our consciousness is and asks questions about what humanity is. Yeah. While the new one, I think, is more in line with today's uh, kind of, I guess, uh, movements, like mm-hmm. civil rights movements, mm-hmm. and the distinction between like who gets, like who. Like, do we treat everyone like a decent being? Is there a being? superior being? Well, just like, I, that's why you're absolutely right. Like, I think that thematically it hinges upon the idea that one one's humanity is derived from their ability to control or choose things for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it becomes more human. Like, K becomes more human as he takes control of his own agency yeah. and starts doing things according to what he thinks is right. Yeah. Like, which is great, and I think that's definitely, like you said, more indicative of our time, like the zeitgeist of right now. But just, like, it lacks that one or two or three extremely visceral gut-punch emotional moments that Mm -hmm. made the original connect with me so much. Like, there are these deep philosophical themes about what is human, but in the end, what hits that home is this awesome half-improvised monologue from Rutger Hauer where he's like, what, to him... In that moment, he is as human as any other human because he's explaining to you like he's experienced things that no other human has and that having that experience makes him unique and makes him human in a way. And like, man, it just really, in that span of three senses, I've been talking about a movie that is, I mean, I'm talking about a scene that is my all-time favorite scene, the the Rutger Hauer scene in uh, Blade Runner there at the end, Tears and Rain, of course. Um. And I just don't know that this movie had that, you know, especially in the ending, like it ends kind of the way a th- like a suspense movie or an action movie might end, you know? Yeah. And I, I just totally get it. Like it didn't yet. But it's a product of this time, this mm-hmm. generation now. 
that said, like it's easy to sit here and criticize, right? But I criticize because oh, I yeah. love it. And overall, I was super engaged. And for how long that movie is, like it's really cool. And we're cinematography nerds, so like every frame oh, yeah. is dude, beautiful. Dude, do you think it's going to be Roger Deakins' year? This year? I mean, Please. God, let one year be. Just <laughs> let him win the of damn Academy years, Award. This oh, year. my God. This like, movie was... This movie... I think is groundbreaking in its cinematography. It looks incredible for a sci-fi film. In general. Yeah. yeah, like it, its vision of its very highly compact and tall cities mm-hmm. yeah. is like totally what you know the future should and would look like. I also love the bit where it's like they go to the waste district and it's yeah. like San Diego area. <laughs> like, of course, in the future, LA takes over all of California and then yeah. they put all of their trash in San Diego. <laughs> Damn. Like that is totally how it would work. That's, you know, what I really love about 2049 is how seamless the visual effects are. Because mm-hmm. I don't know where the real life composite starts and like where it fades off into the, the visual, visual effects. effects. Dude, I also love that they play a lot with your expectations of that. So like Joy, the character mm-hmm. uh, that is um, K's like AI. Yeah. There's a scene where, now this does get into spoilers, like there's a scene where he buys her an emanator mm-hmm. and it allows her to come outside of his like apartment or whatever. Yeah. And the scene where she comes out and experiences the rain for the first time is super moving and then she like shut down because she's too far from the Wi-Fi or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Like there's some glitch. And like K is just constantly being reminded that this AI isn't a real thing. But it plays on this expectation of like, you're still hitting that home like, Around like every visual cue that K gets is like you're not a real person. Mm-hmm. Like real people are like experiences and love and like a connection with outside people and birth and like relationships. All of that, all of that is reserved for not you. And I love that because it's super dire and very yeah. like dystopian. Do you think that's K's way of reminding himself that he's not human? No, I think I K mean, knows that he's not human. Yeah, I think I think K knows that he's not human, and I mean, obviously, I think yeah, he knows well, he's yeah. not human. But I think he Does he, he believes he's not human. He's I think if if I think that K believed that he wasn't human, he believed that no, I am a replicant. I am below human. That's why at the beginning of the movie, he was when they were uh, he was in the. Uh, interrogation room or whatever and he was just repeating the phrases or whatever to make sure he was like on baseline on baseline baseline. or whatever he was he was on every single time because he knew he was he he knew he knows he's a machine and that's all complicit in his existence he's complicit creation i think that k defines himself as a replicant like we define ourselves we are filmmakers k is not uh, a detective k is not a police officer k is not even a blade runner k is a replicant mm. and in the beginning of the film he's he's basically just like when when uh, his ai comes up to him and joy comes up to him and and like you know says something or whatever what did she say something and he was like you don't have to do that yeah because he's like i look look well let's not play We're, like you don't have to do that but as he starts to like there's a glitch in the system. He's like, wait a minute, am I real? And then all of a sudden, everything changes, and he stops believing himself to be a replicant and starts believing, am I alive? Mm-hmm. The que- He starts asking that question, and then he starts experiencing love. Do I have a soul? Do I have a soul? Like, this is... like The more I think about the movie, the more I like it because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. It really explores those themes well. And I mean, gosh, like... Dude, you need to see Arrival. <laughs> Yes. You haven't seen Arrival? I haven't seen Arrival. He hasn't seen any of Denise's films. Very good. Really? Yeah. None of them. Any of them. No, none. This is the first one. Whoa. (laughs) Damn. This is a a very Denis Villeneuve film. Yeah. Like, Like, what a way to start. He has a very, like, methodical style that helped, that really makes movies like suspense. He does suspense very Mm -hmm. well. Which is very cool, dude. Prisoners, prisoners is so awesome. heavy, dude. Sicario, man. There was a shot in Sicario. Have you seen Sicario? Uh, not the whole thing. Oh man. I- so there's a shot where, not a spoiler, a team of like FBI like agents descend into like it's dusk slash dawn, like that yes. twilight. Everyone has seen that shot. Yeah, and like- they like descend down a hill, 
out of the twilight in which they are silhouetted into nothingness. And I remember I saw it with Nick, and Nick goes, that's fucking awesome. Like, in theater, he had what that reaction. Shot. It's an amazing shot. Dude, Nick Scarpino, like also from Kind of Funny. Yeah, yes. Deacon's at his best, man. Like, you, twilight in the sky, and then just black sky in night. So the sun has already been set for, like, you know, mm-hmm. a while, you notice, in this kind of shot. And then it's just a field of grass and on a hill. Yeah, and then with sl- silhouettes, shadows of yeah. these big military men with yeah. guns And you see these walking. silhouettes walking in, and you're like, oh, you see the silhouette of the gun, and you just get the mood of the yep. whole scene. And then they disappear. They literally disappear into thin air, because yeah. they walk down the hill, and then they're behind the hill, and you just have this sky. Gone. Like, it's, that's all practical. Yeah, all practical. Like, you know how long they must have been out there waiting for the perfect sky oh, yeah. and stuff. Like that's so cool. But I mean, yeah, what a way to start. Blade Runner is a really incredible like achievement from him. And I think like, man, what it, like the task of taking on that movie, knowing the history that Blade Runner has with people and the director who mm-hmm. did it before and like it's one of all That's his first like big futuristic sci-fi thing other yeah. than like in time, but like Roger Deakins has been Oh yeah, I know, right? I thought, no, no, no. I thought you said I knew. I knew he shot in time. I thought you were talking about Denis. Oh no, 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 and no. And I thought you were like, and I was like, Denis did in time. <laughs> like, no, he did not. The do Justin that. Timberlake movie, like <laughs> that's so cool. Which, by the way, really cool concept for a movie. Oh, brilliant! Have you seen that movie? No, I saw the trailer though. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Like a not um, a great movie, but <laughs> yeah. But regardless, a great looking movie, yeah. obviously, but. Uh, that was his Roger Deakins' first like really sci-fi sci-fi movie, and he was so excited because he's been wanting to do one for a long time. And then this opportunity popped, and was like, "Uh, yeah, yeah, like the who, most stylistic movie he could ever shoot, Blade Runner." Yeah, right. Unbounded too. Yeah, like that's so cool. The idea of a unbounded Roger Deakins. He's like, I don't know. I think he. I mean, he's deserved the Oscar many times. Mm-hmm. He's the, what, 14 times uh, nominated? Something like that? 14? 13 or yeah. 14 times and hasn't 14. won. And let's be real. Every year, maybe minus like maybe minus like three, mm-hmm. he's deserved to win it, I think, personally. Uh, the three times being the three times that Emmanuel Lubezki won. Yeah. Because, of course, that dude deserves them. To any time Lubezki is in the running and Roger Deakins is in the running, Lubezki will win just because... For some reason, Deacons must have pissed off someone on the Academy board. But have you like have you seen interviews with that dude? He's like he's the nicest, nicest guy most humble dude ever. Like they asked him, there was an interview where someone asked him if he was like, you know, does it like are you a little like salty about not having won an Academy Award and having been nominated so many times? And he goes, you know what? All of my peers and people in the industry say that my work has changed the industry for the better. I'm totally fine with that. He's like, I'm, I'd rather have that than a statue. Yeah. And I was like, what a guy. Because I'd be cool like, fuck dude. yeah, give me the statue. Like, <laughs> no, people like have asked him about, like, what do you think about people calling you a legend, like an icon, mm-hmm. like a master cinematographer? He's like, oh, don't, please don't. Yeah. What a humble uh, British yeah. dude. Humble British dude. Yeah. So what did you think about Jared Leto? I just thought he was underutilized. Like, I thought mm-hmm. he was really cool. I wanted to know more. Uh, because they establish right up front that like replicants are a thing and they generally exist like in sort of subservient roles mm-hmm. or seedier roles, I found myself asking every time you meet a new character, like, is that dude a replicant or is she a replicant? And like when I came to Leto, I didn't yeah. really know. Like I thought yeah. maybe, maybe because they recognize the need for a subservient working class replicant force mm-hmm. that they created a replicant whose sole job was to try and replicate the process that uh like the previous i forget the the creators yeah but what was the creator's name tyrell oh yeah yeah tyrell had been able to do uh and i love this idea of like tasking a replicant to make replicants and the reason he can't do what tyrell did uh, in, in creating like a replicant that's capable of birth is because he's a replicant mm-hmm. and his own struggle and now I'm projecting because none of this is in the movie. And his own <laughs> his own struggle is that he's trying to he deals with his own like ambition to be human by overcoming his own replicant form. I thought that would be a really cool story, but it's never really explicitly stated if he is or isn't a replicant. Yeah. And I know I've talked to a bunch of people who read it both ways. Like I kind of read that he was. I read that he was human. I read that he was a human who thought he was God. 
So that's the other thing is like it could just be and in the opening crawl or like on the the description it says that he's a he's an industrialist who took over what was the Tyrell Corporation mm-hmm. after it went bankrupt and like shut down. But like what's with the eyes then? Like I read that that yeah. he could see like look at replicants and like he can tell who's a replicant. Yeah, or he can it? see their design and all that stuff. Like I read oh. that as he's a replicant. Like that's see, what those eyes the are. The more I thought know? about it, the more it makes sense. I mean, it could be completely wrong, but like he was one of the older Nexus Eight models. Who yeah, has, potentially, right? Yeah, who uh, circumvented that lifespan. So now he is on a quest himself to kind of like spread what he found. Basically, he knows that you can't keep replicants alive forever, but he can make a process where, like, it's kind of like teaching a man to fish. Yeah, you know, and that's what he's trying to do, right? As he says, like, we need to create more replicants, but he can't replicate the birthing process. So I thought that was a cool aspect of it. Uh, it sounded like he was just an ambitious, human. an ambitious human, <clears throat> and I, I took that he was human. I took that he was ambitious because he said, uh, "What well, I put, I put humans on like nine different worlds because of our replicants, and we need more." Like it seemed like his ambition was pushing him to inhumane acts like mm-hmm. starting to figure out ways to like to make more replicants doing things that are totally unethical or that would be deemed unethical in order to attain those goals so I, I read it as like I mean incredibly ambitious I mean I I totally read that as well I mm-hmm. wish they'd done more with it right like I thought it was so cool that first like replicant like creation scene mm-hmm. where like his assistant oh, like yeah, sheds the tear awesome. and stuff and he's like giving the monologue. I wish we had more of that. Like you or get at least a wrap up of his arc. Yeah, like you end. get two kind of really big scenes with Jared Leto's character. Mm-hmm. And like I just wish I just wish there was more, you know? Like cuz he seems like a really intriguing character. That was the other thing is like the first Blade Runner really benefited from this idea of Rutger Hauer's character, Roy Batty, as like the villain of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then it like it pulls this huge philosophical like pivot when it re- when it reveals to you that he's the hero of the movie, mm-hmm. essentially. This movie doesn't really have that because there's not a really clear antagonist, right? Like who yeah. like what is the conflict preventing Kay from trying to get what he is? It's like an internal struggle. Which is great. Those movies can be awesome, but like it would have been really cool if Leto could have like filled in that role. And he does be he is antagonistic there at the end, especially with Harrison Ford's character mm-hmm. with Deckard there. But like that's one scene at the very end of the movie when he like brings out Rachel again and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I thought he was great. The character design was cool. Like I thought he was so intriguing. Mm-hmm. I just wanted the like concepts are cool. Yeah, yeah. So is Deckard a replicant? Still not clearly defined, yeah. <laughs> right? Which is interesting because Still like debatable. the movie, the original Blade Runner heavily implies that he is, right? Mm-hmm. Because like uh, Edward James Olmos' character is making little origami figures and putting them down, much like he does to Kay. Mm-hmm. You notice that he does that to Kay oh, in the yeah. first one? Like he makes, like when he first talks to Kay, when they're at the old folks home or whatever, yeah, he makes the little horse yeah. and he puts it down and then what do you know? Like Kay has that vision of his childhood memory with the little horse in his hand. Like coincidence? Absolutely not, right? <laughs> uh, so that happens two or three times in Blade Runner the in the first one. And it's Edward James Olmos' character again with Deckard. That said, like they don't say that he's a replicant. They don't say that Blade Runners are replicants. He's just like a cop, like a beat mm-hmm. cop, you know, like a detective. And he hunts down burners and or he hunts down Replicant. replicants and he seems to get his ass kicked all the time by them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like he seems to be at a disadvantage, right? All in terms of the movie by itself, it's very self-contained. Like there's no explanation. Now, weirdly, like 20 years after the fact, Ridley Scott was like, Yup, he's a replicant after years of being coy about it. Yeah. And then I don't Harrison know, like, Ford why. was like, I played it like yeah. a human. Yeah, and Harrison Ford was like, I don't think he is. And now we're just I thought he was a human. I've always thought he was a human. Even in the new movie, I'm like, he's human. It's cooler if he's a human because the whole, I think the whole point hinges, the whole point, at least to me, thematically of the first movie is that it hinges upon whether or not Deckard, a human, can understand that something not human, Roy Batty, is human, right? 
by mm. virtue of the lived experiences he's he's had and stuff, you know. Yeah. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. The greatest monologue of all time, by the way. Side note, that's not objectively true. That's just, <laughs> that's just me talking. <laughs> the, the comments just like, why well, disagree? Yeah. yeah. You free to disagree. No, just the know monologue that you're wrong. in the Incredibles is the best. You got me monologuing. Oh man. <laughs> you sly devil. The Where is my super suit? <laughs> oh my god, the second movie. I oh, cannot that is wait. Be cool. Dude. Yes. Which, by the way, talking about Jared Leto and Disney, Pixar, or whatever. Uh New News, moving on from Blade Runner. Will you want to yes. tell us what we read? Um actually you want to tell us? Because you read the news to me and I was like, whoa. We read a really interesting headline today, which is that Jared Leto has confirmed that he's in talks and in development, active development of Tron 3. Oh, that's insane. Which is so cool because I don't know how you guys feel about Tron Legacy. Dude, the one that I came out recently. love Tron Legacy. Dude, I like Tron Legacy, it is dude. very underrated. Like, I remember a lot of people saw yeah, it. I did earlier. not expect know, you to this feel is, this way. This is yeah. not oh, a popular opinion. Oh, you mean I, you thought I would have hated it? Oh, yeah, totally. No. Knowing you, I totally thought you were going to hate it. <laughs> Dude, everyone thinks I'm some pretentious film snob. That's not cool. I just like really cool stuff. And it is cool. Like, yeah. I respect you, Sean. But Finnegan. your definition of cool stuff is a little different than most people. Or. Yeah, I mean, sure. Some people. Yeah, sure. Dude, I mean, Tron Legacy was sick. Okay, Dude, like, I like that awesome. movie. It is like, one, the visuals and action are stunning. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really, really cool. Like, I think. That's how I remember the original Tron. Yeah, dude. Like, Joe Kaczynski, that director, is one of the most underrated directors right now. Like, he has this really cool visual style and structure that is just uniquely him. Like, no one else can copy it. Excuse me. And, uh,. He just like I just didn't like the script wasn't that great in that movie. Like they could oh, yeah. have done so much more. Like the idea, oh, like I think there's a distinction between liking the movie and it being a good movie. Totally. Although I would or say that this movie. is still a good movie, right? Like there are I think awesome aspects of it, and I feel like very, it was. I think solid. it's a well-made movie with cool stuff in it too. True. Also, let's talk about the score, dude. Oh, like, dude, yeah, the music, dude. That kind of like the started. Best. Maybe not, but like it's one of those movies that started the trend or that was like that helped hit home the trend of like big musicians coming in and doing yeah. film scores. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, like I thought that was really awesome. Like maybe that and like the social network. Yeah. Right. Trent Reznor did uh, social Reznor network. Arcade yeah. Fire for Walter Mitty. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. So no, like no, no, no. Uh, sorry, Arcade Fire for her. Arcade Fire. Dude, is dope. really? That's awesome. I love her. Yes. Yeah. Dude, Arcade Fire. What a perfect match. I love that movie. Oh, wow. Five times. Her? That's one of the most like I love that movie. It's one of the most smart and awesome and emotional movies like mm-hmm. I've seen in the last decade. It's really good. But Tron, like, mm-hmm. the score is really good. It's beautifully shot. Like, I like all of the characters minus like the main character. <laughs> That's like <laughs> he's kind of bland. Okay. Like I think He's a lot very of people, vanilla for sure. I think a lot of people didn't like how sort of vanilla he was cuz like the original Tron is about like hackers and counterculture in tech worlds, right? Because like mm-hmm. back when the original Tron came out like it was counterculture to be into computers and technology and stuff. Like that was kind of mm-hmm. something you I grew up in like the nineties, like in the eighties and nineties, like it wasn't cool to be into video games and into computers and stuff. That was something you hid yeah. from people. I it's know. different now, but like, that's what that movie was based in was this counterculture and like the characters in Tron, the original Tron very much embodied that. And here in this dude, Garrett Hedlund's like tall, white, great looking dude, <laughs> piercing green eyes. Like athletic. there's no way athletic drives like, a Ducati. Rip, yeah. Drives mo- like he's that like Ducati this, though. That, He's just very Amazing. clearly a guy who, in that world, would not have ever heir to like a billionaire corporation. Yeah, like this is a dude who, in the in the in the logic of the movie, would not have faced an ounce of adversity in his whole life, mm. and he's cast as like the savior of like a rebellion cause, like inside this thing that his father created. Like I just didn't really buy it. His performance is a little flat, but the idea of what happens in that movie and like. Concepts. The, yeah, the concepts, the action sequences, it's all really, really cool. And I just think people wanted to hate on it, is all. I find it very, I, I, I find it like a really underrated movie. Okay. I'd have to agree. Yeah. So the fact that we're getting a new one. Is Jared oh, Leto so going good. to be the lead? I don't know. It just says, like, the article. Yeah, he was very coy about it. He says, I can bring up the quote, but he says that it's early talks 
and that uh, like there's not much to say about it yet, but that he's involved in what they're calling development. So that probably means like they're still. He's, if it's really early talks, there's probably not even a script. They're probably trying to find someone to write a script, but they know they want to do it. Dude, that would be awesome. And if uh, if Jared Leto took over as the lead, I would be super on board with that. He's been supporting for the last, like, I, I don't know, a lot of major yeah. roles I've seen him in, he's just been supporting. So it would be dope to see him as a lead. Dude, him in Dallas Buyers Club? Holy crap. Yeah. yeah amazing movie. I don't know if you want to watch it. It's definitely not a feel-good movie. Oh, it's but not. It's, it's pretty, pretty heavy. heavy yeah. That's a yeah. heavy It's really movie. good, though. Quote from Jared Leto, It was a huge movie for me as well, and I do think there's so much potential in that world. There's so much left to be said, Leto said in an interview with Collider. I'm absolutely game to try and help in any way I can to bring that to life. It's something that we're in discussions about and very much looking forward to bringing to reality. It's very early days, though. It says here, no writer or director is attached at present. Although Tron Legacy co-producer Justin Springer is involved with Leto, and his partner Emma Ludbrook is also in talks to produce. Mm. So this is funny because like I didn't really actually see there being another one of these. Yeah. Because the first one didn't do well at the box office. Yeah. Yeah. Like they they had greenlit Legacy or Legacy, yeah. yeah. So they had they had done not original is the wrong word, but they had done two sci-fi franchise-esque movies, Disney. They did Tron 3, or they did, sorry, Tron Legacy, and then they followed up a few years later with Tomorrowland, and both flopped. Mm -hmm. And then right after that, Tron 3, which was in talks to be happening, got canceled. Yeah. And so I was like, well, that's it. Like, obviously, Disney doesn't believe in this. Like, they made two flops that are sci-fi like that in a row, so they're just not going to do it. They'll leave sci-fi up to the... The Guardians movies and stuff. Like <laughs> yeah. Have yeah. Star Wars. And Star Wars, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that'll be their sci-fi franchise. Yeah. Movies that are impossible to bomb. <laughs> Wait, but do you think it's a completely new idea that they're tossing around and just com- like starting from scratch? I mean, it's so hard to say now, right? They're calling it Tron 3. Yeah. So like maybe it is connected somehow, although that could mean nothing. Like that's not a, an official title or anything. Yeah. I think if... Because I've seen both Tron films, and I liked both of them. Um, I feel like if they went a completely different route with it, like a different direction with this Tron movie, I think that would be the best. I almost feel like calling it Tron 3 is not a good idea. Call it Tron something else. And like, Tron Resurrection. Tron Tron Future. Tron. Version (laughs) 2.0. Yeah. Tron 2.0. Yeah. Tron 3.0. Tron .exe. (laughs) Exe. Uh, So anyway, but like uh, go a completely new direction, you know? Maybe uh, show us what it's like. uh, Like show us the perspective of of a program Mm. who lives within the Tron world at this point, you know? That could be really cool. And the grid. The thing that I really latched onto from from Tron Legacy was like, so... Spoilers for Tron Legacy, if you haven't seen it. When, movie, when did that come out? 2010? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, one of the really cool concepts that I latched onto is the character of Korra, who is like an, an, mm. a sentient species that was deve- like that was birthed inside the digital... Mm-hmm. like Inside the grid. Yeah, inside the grid. So, like, she's a digital form. And then, like, to escape there at the end, she, like, Garrett Hedlund's character, like, brings her into the actual world. Like... How did that even work? I don't know. How did he get? It, how did he get in there? Right, just the well, yeah, opposite of I that, guess. right? Like, but <laughs> the idea the polarity on the the reactor. But just like so, in like when uh, when they're describing when when Jeff Bridges' character is describing the possibilities that a digital form sort of brings in the real world, yeah. and he's like, think about being able to regenerate limbs from code. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff because it's digital, like digital body parts or digital like objects. I was like, whoa, that is really cool. Like, uh-huh. I would love to see what like physical things look like digitally coded in this world. It's just yeah. like a really cool thing. Like, we haven't seen that on film. No one's done that yet. Yeah. Like, what would that look like? Uh, that could be a really cool new like visual aesthetic and also a story. I think they thing. might hit on that a bit in Ready Player One. Ooh. Which, by the way, what do you think about Steven Spielberg doing Tron 3? That would be awesome. I'm Unlikely, again, I feel. Steven yeah, Spielberg, very unlikely. Steven Spielberg gets a pass from me forever of all time. He's made some yeah, of the greatest he, movies. Many built, of the greatest movies of all time. built my childhood. Yeah, totally. Um, that would be really cool. 
I Although think, I'm really happy he's doing Ready Player One. Dude, Ready Player One looks pretty neat so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, millennials Everyone's look. be saying uh, the book is better, though. Ugh, it's just like they say about everything. I get a really, a but the thing is, I talk to a lot of people who read the book, and about half of them think it's really bad. Oh, huh. really? Yeah. Well, okay. How about that? Or like, not that it's bad, but that it's written like teen fan fiction. So not <laughs> well written, it. and also that the character and the main character is terrible. I haven't read the book, though. I'm just repeating what I've heard. Have you? Have either of you read the book? No. Yeah, like I, I don't know if it's just the circles that I exist in, but like some people think the character is like a weirdo and a terrible person kind of a creep and then he gets rewarded for that and i'm like okay well damn i have a movie isn't like that well i don't know who knows right like i don't think it will be but i'm sure steven spielberg will find a way to make it heartfelt yeah i mean i really hope so he probably looked at it and was just like okay i see the potential in this like well heartfelt is one of his strengths yeah mm-hmm. it's That's his superpower <laughs> yeah i mean my childhood is a testament to his his heartfelt abilities is John Williams scoring it? Man, I I don't know who posted this on Twitter, so I don't know where, where to give credit to, but somebody was like, I feel like the uh, success of the Star Wars films, like half the success is due to John Williams' score. Oh. And I was just like, no, yeah, like half of it, for sure. That score definitely- Probably half of every movie John Williams has ever scored is owed to like- Just, just better music. Yeah. because he made the music. Dude- John Williams is getting old. He's getting up there, yeah. and has scares he, me. Has <laughs> he it been, scares me to death. <laughs> hasn't he been nominated for more Oscars than any other person? I think, I think so. He holds the record for that. Yeah, like, I think a, it's like eighty or something. He is a he is a god. Yeah, honestly, like that guy has how many John Williams scores do you just have in your mind that you could just repeat? Just like the Hook theme, Star Wars. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Superman. Jurassic e. Park. Oh my god. E. Harry Potter. Like <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> like it just keeps going. Yeah. You know? The list goes on and on of the iconic franchises, stories yeah. that he's told. And multiple scores in each of those franchises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what? He's on his eighth Star Wars movie. What a guy, man. Mad respect to John Williams, man. That guy is is a legend. He is the definition of a legend. That guy, John Williams. Has been John around Legend Williams. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, he's been composing music since like the fifties, dude. Yeah, like, I think he's had like a really, yeah. really long career. He's had number one hits before you were born, dude. So, he had number one hits like for like 40, 40 years yeah. before I was born. <laughs> so, really funny story about John Williams. Uh, my 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 little sister had a friend growing up, and her dad was uh, a music guy. He was the chairman of music composition at USC for like twenty years, uh, and he remembers a very young filmmaker coming to ask him if he would score his movie, and he turned him down, and he said no. And that person was Steven Spielberg, and it was Jaws, the movie that he was asking him to oh score. Oh my god! So my 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 little sister's friend's dad. Was like, no, I don't think that's really worth my time, film student Stevie, Stevie Spielberg, and uh, age of film students. Yeah, so he'll always tell that story at dinner, like, you know, John Williams wouldn't be anywhere if I had chosen to score that movie, and I'm like, I'm sure he'd still be somewhere, <laughs> but nah, dude, he's still too really talented cool. not be yeah. anywhere. But the also the idea of Jaws not being the yeah, it could be completely different. Yeah, it's like kind of a crazy thought to me. Yeah. Could you imagine any of those movies, like how they would feel if the score was different? It would completely would change the Chance tone of the film. Yeah, like, I mean, to me, the most mem- – I love Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park might be – like, Jurassic Park is the movie that made me want to be a filmmaker. Like, Oh, yeah, there are definitely moments in there. I remember as a kid watching Jurassic Park, and I'm like, this is what I want my life to be. Yeah, Real so that's – dinosaurs? A- Fuck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it captures your, at least when I saw it when I was a kid in theater, I saw it in theaters, uh, it captured my imagination. Like, in the, during that two-hour period that you're in the theater, you're like, mm-hmm. whoa, dinosaurs are real. Yeah, like, and then you just hear that piano theme, that and your theme, heart dude. just bum, The bum, soaring, yeah, bum like, surprise. Jurassic Park, man, like, 
it's lost. I hate it. I hate to say it, but like it's lost its soul. Like it's, it bums me out that Jurassic world is like the second highest grossing movie of all time (laughs) because to me, it's not Jurassic park. It's Godzilla. Like that movie is just big monster things fighting in the streets of this park. It lacks any of what made the original Jurassic park. So aspirational, like, and so like imaginative. It's funny. Part of that is that score. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, we talked about this whenever Jurassic World came out, but, like, it's kind of heartbreaking to see it kind of just lose its soul like that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I already knew that going into the movie before it premiered. So, I like, honestly, when I went to that movie, I was like, it's not going to be Jurassic Park. Just know that. And uh, I just want to be see big dinosaurs fight. That's exactly what we got. I remember when that movie was coming out. I was like, yeah, Jurassic Park 2 and 3 came out before this. Those already stole the soul yeah, those of Jurassic either. Park 1. So Jurassic World wasn't going to happen for Wasn't this. going to have the soul. And if it was going to happen, that'd be a pleasant surprise. Exactly. I did not go in with that. And you know what, man? There was a there was a character running away from a dino- a T-Rex wearing high heels and she somehow outran it. It was pretty amazing. Go back uh, and watch that scene when she lets the T-Rex out for the first time. She's literally like 15 feet away from it. Yeah. And you're like, okay, so she turns the corner and then we hard cut and she's like a mile away from it and yeah. leading it out into the whatever. Also, Six steps and that would have bit her, bit her head off. Also, yeah, like <laughs> you're telling me the T-Rex cage is like right there outside the yeah. visitor center, like enough for her to run in heels to lead it <laughs> in. Like it's hey. just... It's nonsense. Why didn't man? she kick off the heels? I can't. This is. I hate it. That's she knows the one how to part work where it. I'm it's like, the worst part because kick off that's. The heels. <laughs> oh, god damn it. No. Oh my well, god. She knows how to handle it. She's well, like, that was. She's uh, a clever girl. Clever girl. That I must just, have been a nice thing for you guys to see that Noel just came and scared the shit out of all of us. <laughs> yeah. And that's terrifying. forever going to live on camera. <laughs> damn. Uh, I don't know. That's just like, to me, I can't. I don't want to touch this too much, but like, to me, it's indicative of what. It's like Hollywood feminism, right? They're like, she's this powerful woman who dresses nice and can be like in a position of power and she can do all of the stuff that the guys do and do it in heels when that's, the heels is the last part of it. But they insisted on making a big deal about the heels. Even my mom was like, that's really dumb that she insists on wearing the heels and stuff or whatever. But just like- It's just reckless. You're running away from a freaking T-Rex. That's just like- Dude. (laughs) That's like- the last in a laundry list of problems I have with that movie, so it's not a big deal to me. <clears throat> Dude, I went in and was like, if I see a bunch of raptors fighting a T-Rex, uh, then I'm good. Guess what? Oh, we yeah. got and that guess what? and more. I got raptors fighting like a T-Rex-Raptor hybrid monster, and then T-Rex plus fighting a T-Rex. Plus a water T-Rex. Yeah, yeah, pro- yeah. plus a, a water T-Rex. monster I mean, that I didn't know was a dinosaur. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Is that a dinosaur? Yeah, it's yeah. a dinosaur. That's amazing. Maybe. Is it really I mean, that it big? it might have not been in the same... So, funny thing. We always see T-Rexes fighting like Triceratops and stuff. They're not in the same era at all. They're <laughs> yeah. like 150 million years apart. 150 million! Yeah. Some in that range. Yeah, some huge number. Dinosaurs were around for a real yeah, long time. Yeah, and that, like, plesiosaurs, the water thingies, they're I definitely not in the same era either. I just... Well, technically, I mean, Jurassic World is bringing all the dinosaurs to one Do time, we have paleontologists so. out there? Please let us know in the comments. Yeah. If you're a paleontologist and you're listening to this show... Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? You're you smarter than that. Really, you're better than this. You must be really enjoying this conversation about <laughs> dinosaurs. If you're a paleontologist and you listen to the show, leave a comment below. Send us a DM. I don't know. That movie... You must be pretty cool. If you're into watching... I don't know. To me, like, Jurassic... Yes, it's cool to watch big dinosaurs fighting... Big CGI dinosaurs fight each other and wreck a bunch of shit. CGI? (laughs) But to me, it's like the equivalent of watching, like, like like, a YouTube video of just explosions. Like, I'd rather just do that. Like, it's the same, you know? It's free if you do that. Yeah, it's the same. Like... It's just visual, like, candy. Like what did you nonsense. think of Pacific Rim? So Pacific Rim, I thought, was cool, but in a different way. Like, it still is big robots fighting one another, but the thing that I really latch onto is the idea of drifting. Like, the drift. Like, going into a mental state where your brain is shared between you and another person. Okay. I was like, that sounds really cool. So that's what powers these robots, or that's what it takes to pilot these robots. They kind of leave it at that, right? Yeah. But at least there's like this cool underlying sci-fi idea that powers 
all of what we see in there. The new one doesn't look to be like that, but we'll see. I don't know. I like Pacific Rim for a different reason than I like Jurassic World. Like Jurassic World is just seeing big dinosaurs fight. That's dope. Cool. It's just spectacle. Pacific Rim is such... See, Pacific Rim felt like it had soul because it had yeah, such dude. an homage and such a like inundated in that kind of culture of giant yeah. robots, and, giant and robots kaiju. fighting like giant it's a monster. Movie, yeah, you know, like exactly. There's a history there. There's like a tone. It's got and that a style. soul in it, that heart. Yeah, that's what I think is. Don't get me wrong, viewers out there. I don't not like spectacle. I love spectacle. Some of the biggest some, Jurassic Park, the movie that made me want to be a filmmaker, is it has so much spectacle. It has it in spades. But it was like original, one of the originals. Yeah, but spectacle for spectacle's sake, mm-hmm. that I don't like. That's just a Michael Bay movie. Like mm-hmm. you, a bunch of giant robots like intricately destroying each other means nothing if I don't care about the robots or the characters who drive the robots mm-hmm. or whatever. Which. In Pacific Rim, I think they do a pretty good job of characterizing the struggle of like, not so much the main character, but like the uh, the the, uh, the yes. supporting character, Charlie Hunnam. Mako. Yeah, monster is that her name? Mako. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I thought her Mako. struggle. Mako. Mako. If you're Charlie Hunnam, you, yeah. you overcompensate with your American accent. Like I thought they did some interesting character work there. You know, um, we'll see what the new one looks, how the new one shapes up, but. Uh, I think the new one looks cool. I'm I, I said in a kind of like Power Rangers way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. When when I saw the trailer right? for the new one, totally, I was like, oh my god, this looks freaking crazy. Dude, I'm I mean, down with John Boyega. Anything, so. dude. The fact that Let's John Boyega, it. Let's go. The thing that I like the least about Pacific Rim is Charlie Hunnam as the main character. <laughs> Mako was great, <laughs> but like, dude, I I gotta so be it's honest. Like Idris, like he's really good too. Oh, Idris Elba's oh, so sick. He's so good. I love that John Boyega, his accent kind of mirrors Idris Elba's. Mm. The way he says apocalypse and yeah. uh, the way he the, the way he said a couple of words that Idris Elba's character said, it's just sound it sounds like he is his son. Yeah. And uh that's what gets me stoked. I'm like, I'm more stoked to see what what this character's arc is and how this story unfolds and i really 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 hope it's good please be good pacific rim too honestly i am too the like, i thought a lot of people looked at the trailer and was like that looks just like transformers and i'm like again going off what i just said spectacle for spectacle's sake i like spectacle if there's a soul to it if there's a story to it there is a chance that pacific rim uprising is just that it's a michael bay movie awesome visuals giant robots cool fight scenes with a great story yep. that's wrapped Arts. up in John, yeah, with that's wrapped up in John Boyega's character. So if it is that, man, I'll be all all in for that. That'd be really cool. Plus, like in the original Pacific Rim, I thought they didn't do enough of like. So when Charlie Hunnam's character first gets into like Gypsy Danger, is yeah, that what it's Gypsy called? Danger. Yeah, uh, I like cool names. Yeah, they do have really Ridiculous cool names. names. One of the really cool things I didn't think Pacific Rim dove into enough was when Charlie Hunnam's character first gets into Gypsy Danger and goes out into the field and sees all these other skilled pilots who have like their own fighting style. Like there's this one that has three pilots. Yeah. And they're like the Japanese brothers and they have this cool fighting I think they style. Were Chinese, That's Chinese, so, right? Yeah, I forget. Yeah, there were some sort some denomination of Asian. Yeah. Um but like, you know, they have this cool fighting style and there's three of them and their robot has a third arm. Like their Jaeger has a third arm. I was like I want to know more about those dudes. Like that sounds yeah. awesome. Like this the triplets. Yeah, Pacific Rim Uprising seems to be like they're going to focus on whatever it is, five or so main characters, right? Mm-hmm. Led by John Boyega, and mm-hmm. I really hope that each one of them is like very different and it mirrors like their fighting style and their yeah. their Jaeger. That would be really cool. Yeah. That, those are I cool that. character development traits that if you guys don't know, like in film theory i guess or like film production like you have these supporting characters who have these physical traits or like visible traits that you see that you can infer what their story is and it makes up for it in your mind so you don't have to spend a lot of screen time on it same thing in pirates of the caribbean where uh davy jones's crew if you look carefully at each character and they spend a lot of time in the concept room for this where each character has their own kind of like theme or story behind it just based on their character design itself so cool. Yeah. The things you can do with time and money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. On that note, we should probably close it out. Sean, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank, thank you guys so for having me, man. It's always fun to come and talk movies and stuff with y'all. 
Yeah, we got to have you on more often. Hopefully, whenever we, you get the chance. Yeah, whenever you're in Vegas, here. obviously yeah, yeah. this is the this is the thing that needs to happen, and uh, uh, we'll make sure to include you in a vlog next time we go to San Francisco. Sounds oh, good, man. You guys are always welcome in my town. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Thanks for welcoming us into San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, because if you weren't welcome, you couldn't. If you, if I didn't personally welcome you, yeah. you wouldn't be able to come. No, to San we would Francisco. never go. No, there. that's why I've never been to San Francisco yeah, until you the mayor gave of San the okay. Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Danny Lachette. Jeremy's at Jeremy Lee with three Y's. Sean, and you are at Shot by Finnegan. At Shot by Finnegan. Follow Sean. He's amazing. Check out the work he's doing on IGN. Check out Podcast Unlocked. Check out. Fire team chat. Fire team chat. Check out. I mean, I think that's it. Check, that's it. That's it. <laughs> but like the list, <laughs> you know, there's more stuff coming. I oh, promise. Yeah. It's exciting. All right, guys. We love you. See you later. Bye.